This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. my own personal journey of trying to make those relationships between who I am and who I want to live authentically and the tradition that I inherited got me to make fusions and to sacrifice some certainties for some ambiguities. And in that murky space of discovery and curiosity is where art lives and where I think spirit lives. And that's how it becomes an interesting milestone because I'm not just doing what grandma would have wanted. I'm standing up to who I am. Welcome to U-Turns, the podcast where we talk all things change. I am Lisa Oz. I am Jill Herzig. You know, one of the things we talk about here are moments of dramatic transition in life and they happen all the time and yet there are there are so few ceremonies or rituals or ways that we mark them and so we don't even have moments or spaces to talk about them and that's i mean we we came up with this podcast as a way to clear some space for that right exactly and and i i think as a culture we don't know how to and we just don't talk about them right i mean yeah. and and, you go and into so your much bubble of, it, of transformation alone and you feel like you're the only one who's going through big shifts in your life and yet you know tagline of our podcast because shift happens because shift happens all the time and you are so not alone but you don't feel that way which is why today we have with us rabbi amachai lao levi did i get that okay absolutely <laughs> thank, thank you thank you so much for being with us i'm gonna try and avoid saying your name from now on. what did you say your friend called you omaha um, I have a friend who skipped the Amichai Semitic part and went straight to Omaha. Omaha. It's, it's, it's not your state. real name. Amichai uh, Lalevi is a rabbi and the founder of Lab Shul, which is very intriguing, and um, storytelling, which I love the idea of. But as a rabbi, one of your very important functions is bar and bat mitzvahs. Because in the Jewish tradition, you do have a rite of passage from one phase of life, as childhood, to being a functioning member of the community. So it, it exists there, but there are no other places, like for middle age, you know, women transitioning after childbirth from being like the maiden into the wife. Um, the mother. The mother, the mother, right? Uh, there, there are so many times in our lives, I think, where we... One part of us dies, and we are reborn as someone else. And I was just wondering if you have any ideas on marking transitions. Mm. I was so glad to get your invite for this conversation, because this is something I've really been dealing with in, in my community and in my own personal life. I'm 49, and 50 is beckoning. People are like, what are you doing for your 50th? 
Like, I don't know. I'm really busy. We'll get there. <laughs> but um, this is a question that I think in our increasingly complicated urban digital device of lives, people are looking for how to mark milestones in meaningful ways beyond the tribal or spiritual paths we may have come from and meeting us where we are today as, as complicated people with many needs. Um, so as you mentioned, Lisa, the um, the the reality of what we call the Barbat Mitzvah is a about a 1,500-year-old Jewish tradition of basically inviting a young person to step into adult responsibility. When it was created, 13 was considered the age where you basically left home, got married, started your grown-up life. Today, of course, that's not the case. So we're struggling with how to make that transitional ritual meaningful to both the tweens, teens, and their families. Um, and we started off by renaming it from Barbat Mitzvah to Be Mitzvah, which is gender neutral. And it's also about a coming-of-age reality where for some teens in that age, gender is not a definitive. And so they're going through many questions of becoming. So Be Mitzvah is what we do with primarily tweens and teens. You see, the word tweens is awful. We've been instructed not to use it, but there's not, there's not yet a better ones, but the almost teens. And at the same time, we've had many of the parents of these young people who do it with us come and say, oh, my kid is now engaged in a year-long process of asking big questions about values and about becoming a storyteller because we totally revamped what happens at these B-Mitzvah rituals. It's not about road, road quoting. It's about being a critical thinker mm. and a storyteller and a public speaker so in front of your community. I'm glad to hear that because I have been to many, many <laughs> bar and bat mitzvahs. And um, I can say that not all of them feel very meaningful. Sometimes it's, you know, they're good parties. They can be so very good parties. Great. It's fun to throw marshmallows <laughs> at the end. Correct. Um, and it's incredibly impressive to listen to these, as you say, tweens, some of whom look like tiny gangly children, spit out this long recitation of Hebrew. But it, it it's not necessarily something that seems like it's resonated with them. I don't think that's the purpose of the ceremony. We've completely reinvented what it's about, and I can tell you more Wonderful. about it. In the context of grown-ups then come to us, whether the parents or relatives or people who have been to the ceremonies we create, and say, oh, this was actually, I understood it. It was meaningful. It wasn't about a kid reciting their legacy, but taking on the hero's journey of who am I in this world? Are there master stories that I can relate to that can give me values and a roadmap? And can I be the critical thinker who talks back to the text and presents my thoughts and asks the audience, community, guests for inspiration? It's an interactive learning storytelling ritual. So grown-ups come to us and say, hey, I'm 20, whatever, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 80s. I need a life cycle ritual to help mark my becoming, exactly like you said, someone else. So in two weeks, Ruth, who's in her 70s, was one of my students who was a lapsed Jew, as we say, uh, discovered that Judaism actually could be meaningful to her modern, interfaith, feminist, ac activist life. So she's becoming a B-mitzvah at a storytelling ritual that she has been working on for a year. Uh, she's doing it for her grandchildren, and she wants to mark her being an elder and her passing on tradition to her grandchildren who are, like her, in multi-faith families. So she's been working for a year on telling a story and thinking about what ritual means to her, what does public service means to her, and that's part of her journey. And she's our guinea pig for a grown-up B-mitzvah. And then we have John, whose son is doing it later this year. Uh, his son is 13. And John said, you know, I grew up by... Was raised by two psychoanalysts, very ambivalent Jews. There was no ritual. There was a lot of psychotherapy. <laughs> and now I want to think: What does it mean to me as a father, as somebody in his fifties, to think about my intellectual, spiritual legacy? So he's going to do the bimits alongside his son. We don't know what it looks like yet, but it dawned on me through just these two examples and others that are coming to us that what you are onto is exactly a need, not just for Jews, for people. How do we mark midlife? How do we mark evolution from one phase of life to the other? How do we mark divorce? How do we mark um, moving to a new home? If religion and God-centric community is not what guides most of us, the need for some kind of spiritual 
emotional resonance still does. So it's about a reinvention of what we do and a reclaiming of language that our homo sapien entities know. But we've been robbed of the access because of like lukewarm at best religious institutions that haven't given us these tools. And last thing I'll say on that is that informally there have been this rites of passage in all traditions. It's true for the indigenous shamanic traditions. It's true for Judeo-Christian. But um, it hasn't been activated. I think the Industrial Revolution in some way robbed us of those tribal villages where people were able to acknowledge, witness, and support each other. I guess just weddings are left, right? And they too. Party is great. There's a ritual. Um, People often um, don't take the time to really prep the wedding as a life journey. Right. That, um, that's, and that's what you do do with these B mitzvahs. It's a year long, you said, a year long It's between a year and two. Oh, wow. And there's the whole storytelling learning journey before, and there's a what we call paid forward communal service after. Um, when I work with wedding, uh, with couples who want to get married, I usually insist on six months because I meet with them at least six or seven times. So has anybody ever decided not to do it after the six-month session with the rabbi? <laughs> yes. <laughs> really? Yes. I, yeah. When I work with couples, and it's interesting you mentioned, because that's obviously a huge life transition at whatever age we do it, and people are doing it increasingly older. Um, I work with couples on three prenups, on a financial prenup that I invite them to do. So to you encourage sure. a financial prenup? Regardless of their finances. I'm like, talk about money. And then I'm asking to talk about spirituality and politics and cultural values. Just see, like, where are we aligned? Where are we not? And how can we handle that? And finally, a sexual prenup. Talk about how's our sex life and how's our erotic life and how is it now? And what might it be in five years? And how can we have a process where we are honest about it? Mostly because when people come to me, I say, look, would you buy an iPhone that's 50% not going to work? Probably not. They're getting married. <laughs> Don't buy an iPhone with low battery. <laughs> right, right. No, it's, it's about 50% success rate, right? So you're coming to me to officiate. Let me help you get to 80%. The three main reasons people split are sex, money, and politics. I thought there so, was in-laws or something fought, fought well, over families. It's the, it's the opinions of in-laws about yeah. sex, money, and politics <laughs> or religion. Right? So let's talk about these things. So the prenup, so the conversations about values and about how we want to be in relationship— um, a very rich. And there are times, it happened once, that a week before the wedding, a couple that met with me about five times, um, this was over a combination of money and religion. You know, we were at the last meeting of really planning the last things, and I they were back and forth, and I said, you know what, I'm going to leave now. Call me. I think we need to have another, y- y'all, y'all, y'all need to talk. And she called me the next morning and said, we're, we're, we, we're not doing it. Mm. I had I a kid. You spared them a world of pain. That's what she said. And she said it's going to be really ugly, and they went to court, but they did not get married because the process of, of inquiry, this heroic journey of going into a life-changing milestone with thoughtfulness and open heart and eyes wide open allows to ask some hard questions. And I think in our society, we go for a lot of quick download that swipes, click, and done, next. That's good for some things, you know. That's good for seamless. But um, it's not <laughs> good for lifelong cooking. No, definitely not. When we come back, we're going to delve into how you came to have all this wisdom. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. 
at JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We are speaking with Rabbi Amichai Laulavi, and we've been talking about marking transitions, preparing for transitions, approaching change in a conscious way. And I just wanted to take the conversation back to your life experiences and how what you ex- what you lived colored the way that you teach and. I guess, preach now. Hmm. Um, in the context of what we're talking about, creating meaningful moments and milestones, I would say it's a combination of a few shared paths. Uh, I grew up in, a, in an Orthodox Jewish home in Israel um, with my father, who now deceased, a Holocaust survivor, and my mother, a British Jewess, with an emphasis on the aesthetics of home and Sabbath table and and the rituals, the home rituals that I would say maybe don't mark the huge milestones, but but mark uh, moments in time. Sabbath was a thing. Holidays are a thing. Rituals, life cycle rituals, uh, it's a thing, right? It's a Jewish home and it's a religious home. So there's both the anxiety and the obligation, but the commitment. We do this because we have to, and we do it a lot. So there was a sense of what happens when we come together and what happens when it's not just autopilot, but actually meaningful. So I took that. And then in my late teens, I came out and I was in a big uh, conflict between the religion of my youth and the Bible and the God and the laws that I grew up with and the fact that it wasn't in sync with who I was. And either I was an abomination and the Bible was right or I was right and the Bible was wrong. And I sort of went for a both-and approach where it needs to be talked to and revised. So I began a long journey, now 30-plus years later, of figuring out a synthesis of old-school patriarchal Judaism and new queer, feminist, radical, non-binary type of spirituality that works. What and happened I'm, when you came out to your family? What, tell us a little bit of, of the story um, of that. It's interesting. My mother, who's now 89, is writing her memoirs, and she has recently come around to the notion that she can actually write about the fact that she has a gay son. She's still in the religious community. So she and I were trying to remember what happened, and we have different uh, versions of what happened in the kitchen. Why that am I day. not surprised? <laughs> right? I'm like, did you cry? Did you not cry? But I have to say, I'm very blessed. My parents and family, immediate family, uh, rose with some level of confusion, but they rose to say okay. And over over the years, it was a little more accommodating and accepting as we all learned how to lean into each other more. Um. But that was, um, you know, it's funny with my many queer and LGBTQ friends would talk about, we lament 
the lack of initiation rights for young queers. Like you come out, right? National Coming Out Day just happened. And then what? Where, where are the elders who will say, hey, welcome. You're 14. You're 16. You're 25. Think you're gay? Let's tell you about some of the good, you know, it'll, it'll get better stuff. But also here are some things to know. And how about an elder to walk you through it? Not in necessarily, you know, the Greek model of the elder, you know, initiating potentially slash molesting. Yeah, you. I was going to say, you don't really no, want that no, kind of No, elder. but what you do want is the type of an elder walking a youngster through the ropes of life, initiation in, a, in an apprentice way. Yeah, I mean, and, there's the whole it will get better movement, but that presupposes that you're in a place of desperation, which, you know, for— teenagers today, right. they might not be. They right. might be looking for a joyful way to come out, for a right. way to embrace this as, as this, like, happy leap forward in their life. And there's exactly. there's not a lot of modeling of that. Exactly. So so that's one. So I think between, you know, growing up Orthodox and then discovering my path in a complicated gay world and looking for role models and looking for rituals and looking for a way to really fuse the spiritual Jewish with a queer you know, where for many, many years being gay and Jewish was considered really not cool. Like I spent, I don't know, uh, I guess my 20s being very ambivalent about being publicly Jewish or spiritual in gay contexts because that wasn't considered cool. Nowadays, and the gay so movement is 40 years old, it's, it's, it, it, the, it's much more How acceptable. did you reconcile orthodox, very um, specific, literal Judaism with being gay, I mean, because you said that we use the word you use the word abomination. Doctrinally, as a rabbi, how do you reconcile that? Hmm. Do you, so, is the Bible wrong and or not? I mean, no. I was just wondering how you how right. you interpret it. So my interpretation stems from the belief that the Scripture, the holy texts, in this case Jewish, but I think it's true for all of them, are a split screen reality. There is the book. There's what's written, the PDF, the canon, the inherited heirloom, right? I'm not messing with the text of the Bible. Where I'm messing with it is in the margins, in the interpretation, in the oral tradition that is part and parcel of the written. So is Judaism, that the Midrash? So that is Midrash, okay. exactly. But that's actually Torah. Like we say the Torah is a two-part symphony. It's what's written and codified, and it's how in every generation we talk back to it. So I, we, received a Bronze Age document written by fill-in-the-blank that is considered holy. And in it, women are second-class citizens, mm -hmm. and slavery is permitted. And polygamy. And polygamy is, <laughs> is awesome. And sacrifices <laughs> are the way to get to God. Right? And there's many ancient systems. And sometimes you systems. kill your kids. You, and yeah. if, if they misbehave. And, no, no. And, the, well, it was God, a judge who sacrificed his daughter because she was the first thing that came correct, out to greet correct, him. Correct. Because you offer children. <laughs> yes. And yeah. there's many ancient ways. And we read it and go, I don't know. That doesn't really work with my digital reality. So then the question, how do we talk back to the text? And when the Torah says abomination, what's the sociopolitical context of a 3,000-year-old text? How do we retranslate it so that human dignity and celebration is at the forefront and not just adherence to the ancient? So I'm not alone in this. The entire field of liberal Judaism or, you know, the Protestant and some of the more liberal Islam is saying, okay, we got a holy text. We like it. Between the baby and the bathwater, we need to be a little more selective here because it's not all going to honor who we are. It's not going to honor women. It's not going to honor LGBT. It's not going to honor how we... Look at human dignity beyond enslavement, etc. So let's upgrade. Let's update, right? The PDF is as is, but we can talk back to it. In fact, I'll go back a moment to our rites of passage when we deal with be mitzvahs. That's what we teach our initiates. Here's a text, right? The Jewish tradition is once a week we have a storytelling ritual. Take out the Torah. Hi, everybody. Let's share. In the traditional Orthodox and now other traditions, uh, denominations, the kids chant from the Torah, which was once a very useful tool because you were part of the community and we needed Torah readers. Nowadays, it's not the most useful tool. So what we teach kids and now grown-ups is to maybe chant the Hebrew, but most importantly, to translate it, to interpret it, to wrestle with it, to create a script based on it that becomes an interactive performance. And so we talk back to tradition. And we'll say, okay, what's the 21st version, uh, the, the 21st century version of the ancient text? And how am I as a 13-year-old or 75-year-old 
wrestling with my inheritance in a way that can meet me where I'm at. And I can say, thinking out loud here, that my own personal journey of trying to make those relationships between who I am and who I want to live authentically and the tradition that I inherited got me to make fusions and to sacrifice some certainties for some ambiguities. And in that murky space of discovery and curiosity is where art lives and where I think spirit lives. And that's how it becomes an interesting milestone because I'm not just doing what grandma would have wanted. I'm standing up to who I am. Have you had conflict with members of your family who are still in the Orthodox, you know, tradition, who don't love your fusions? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My uh, my father's side of the family is a heavy rabbinic family. I mean, you uh, go back 39, 40 generations so the of family, rabbis? The family myth, um, it has yet to be quantified, is okay. that I am generation 39, consecutive year of rabbis, uh, as we speak, my first cousin is the chief rabbi of Israel, and his father, my uncle, is the former chief rabbi of Israel. They're all lovely people. They wear black hats. They're deep in the patriarchal Judaic orthodoxy that I am honestly fighting, and they know that. So we say hello, hello, and we meet in family events, and we're very cordial, but it is a divide. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, this is a sidebar, but... I had this conversation with a couple of rabbis last week of a few different denominations, including very orthodox. And I asked them, are we at the point of the Catholic-Protestant break yet? Are we becoming two distinctly different religions of Judaism? Mm. And one of them said, oh, that happened in the 1860s. We, like, we, we've been different for a long time. And the other said, we're not quite there yet. And so I think it's an interesting question. Would you look for a different name? Would you want, you know, a, you've got conservative, you've got reform, you've got orthodox. But, <laughs> so, yeah, right. Jew-ish. No, Jill right. always says she's Jewish. Oh, great. Yes. So that's my line. So we're on the same page. I use right. Jewish all the time. Yes. And um, it's really a good question. I think from a branding point of view, this Jewish thing, the Judaic thing, is both a, a, a good brand and a complicated brand. So we're we're toying with it. I will just say I don't have the the the, the URL on this yet, but I've been playing with Shebrews for a long time. <laughs> because, I like it because we're that. deeply about the feminine I and the feminine it. divine, and but I think Shebrew might not be the best pitch. But well, you need guys in there too. Well, I'm a Shebrew. Like in like, if you can be a Hebrew and you can be a woman, then you can be a Shebrew and be a guy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So That's for those of us who are not Jewish at all, although I think I have, like, I did Ancestry.com. I think I'm, like, 5% Jewish somewhere. Someone was fooling around in my ancestry that I we didn't know about. Um, <laughs> how do we take the these, your idea of fusion, of doc, because it's endemic to all religions, as you pointed out, the taking a holy text that is is part of our collective tradition and forms our values. And whatever that text is, whether we're, you know, it's the Rig Veda for mm-hmm. for um, Hindu or B- Buddhist texts or uh, the Quran, how do we take your idea and make it universal for all faiths? That's a fantastic question that I am busy writing up right now <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, a lot of the families that we work with are already Ancestry.com related, uh, a mixed multitude. We're all mixed DNA. So I get a lot of families that are Jewish and other, and I'm working right now with a beautiful young woman whose mother is Muslim, whose father is Jewish, and a family who one parent is Hindu and the other is a Hindu. Mm. And we have Jews <laughs> of different stripes, and we have atheists, and we have like... And, and yet everybody wants to create the ritual, where at the core is this grappling with narrative with myth and with storytelling. There's no reason to limit this to Jewish, right? If we need rites of passage in this complicated human reality, then reimagining what B mitzvah is, coming of age, marking this, this passage for people of different ages and different ethnicities. Um, and this is like a, this is like a, a, you know, a, a dropped penny of recent months, which is why this conversation is completely serendipitously perfect, um, we're thinking, well, well, why not do that? 
right? And is it happening through religious institutions? Is it happening through community cultures? Is it sort of taking soul cycle to the next level of like, you're going to invest some time in asking big questions about your body and your soul and your values and your community. Um, and you're going to create structures for where, let's say, whatever hitting middle age is for you. I mean, is it is it around menopause? Is it around the age, 50 or thing? Is it about retirement? Is it about um, like a, a milestone such as empty nesting or divorce that happens very often at a certain moment? Um, we're beginning to ask these questions because but what we're seeing is the organic grassroots show up of people coming to us and saying, huh, okay, I'm not a kid, raised a family or whatever. I've got some bandwidth to ask big questions. Yeah, I mean, you just became a rabbi a few years ago. Um, you decided to follow in the crazy long tradition of your family. Mm-hmm. And um, it seemed like that maybe, did that offer you this opportunity of reflection? Maybe we need to. Yeah, I would say before I turned 40, I said it's now or never. Just sort of a myth too, you know, it's for whatever, the 40 gate. But um, I thought this would be a fantastic way to spend a few years asking myself big questions about the values that I want to live and how I want to be helpful in the world and how I want to take my tradition in a relay race and reinvent something with it. And it felt the perfect age. My kids were just young enough. My career was sort of in a mid-spot, and I think it's helping me think about future in a very, um, very healthy, balanced way. When we come back, more wisdom with Rabbi Amichai Laulavi. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect, flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all. Even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We've been talking about transition and marking transitions, and it seems from our conversation that 
probably the most powerful tool you have is the text itself, are these stories in the Torah, um, because that is the preparation for these, for the marking the bee mitzvahs, is to see ourselves in these stories. And you also have what you call storytelling. Um, can we talk a little bit about why you feel, I, I happen to agree with you, but that storytelling in and of itself is such an important part of the human journey mm-hmm. and why these stories in particular, these biblical stories are so crucial to our understanding ourselves? Um, I like to think of stories as oxygen. Right? We don't think that we see it, but without it, we will die. A little bit like germs too, right? <laughs> you can have lousy stories that feed our individual and collective mythologies. And we live and pass on toxic messaging, such as some of the stuff in the Bible or, you know, working now with my kids and students about Thanksgiving. Can we, like, talk about what really happened here? And can we talk about gratitude but also about responsibility for the indigenous story that emanated and evolved here? So stories can be helpful and stories can be toxic. I believe that in order for us to grow as individuals and as a society— We've got to look eye to eye into the stories we live and figure out how we tell them, who tells them, how we can tell better versions of the stories that we inherited. It so happens that in the Jewish tradition, to an extent in the Christian and the Muslim, different in others, the ritual of storytelling is central. And if you think about the way um, indigenous people in Africa, in Asia, or in North America initiate kids into adulthood, those would be vision quests or there would be outback journeys and how to hunt or how to fish or how to be part of the universe. For Jews, it's about becoming a storyteller. It's being part of the storytelling ritual. Take the wheel and drive us for today, young man, young woman, you are a storyteller for the day. Maybe because we were nomads and we were refugees and immigrants and packing stories is lighter than packing your... You know, hmm. schlepping your tchotchkes. <laughs> um, and maybe because we understood that story is core to the human experience of mystery and becoming. And so the metaphors and the myths that we engage with give our souls and our minds and our community the tools to grapple with life's challenges. So I think stories are critical. We're living in a culture where you know, from HBO to Hollywood to you name it, stories is the biggest industry. And we love it. We need it. We process our own stuff through other people's stories. So what happens when we take our story and meet an ancestral story of whatever background and grapple with what the values are? Um, are you familiar with the, with, the, with the concept of bibliotherapy? No. 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 Well, bibliotherapy is a little bit like drama therapy. But instead of a group coming together and acting out a situation or some kind of a social drama, you open a text, Little Red Riding Hood, and you say, okay, let's read Little Red Riding Hood together. Which character do you like? Which character would you like to talk to? If you were to tell grandma something right now, or if you were to like hang out with a wolf, what would you say? Now, it's great with kids. It's great with all ages. It's been used in multiple therapeutic and art therapy contexts. But basically what happens, you get into the story. And our soul knows which part of the story we resonate with and what I want to play with today. And then you go through there and you slowly build a narrative that meets who you are with this master story. Cinderella, Tower of Babel, you know, The Last Supper, The Rise of Muhammad, Story of Indra, you name it. That's what myths are for. They're there to give our lives meaning and tools. And I think we've been not taught how to use stories and how to use myth. So if we can have rituals of storytelling, that is not the only way people come of age, but is one of the ways, I think it gives us the as-if safety net to air out our big questions about becoming in a way that's safe. Because I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Little Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about Isaac, right? I'm asking questions about, hmm, Okay, so there's a story of the binding of Isaac and one day a father takes his kid up on the mountain because the voice of God says, sacrifice your child for me so you can live on. And that's the story of my bimitzvah. So I'm going to stop in our storytelling way and say, okay, hey, Barry, 
talk to Isaac. If you were Isaac and your dad would do this, what would you do? And Barry says, this happened two weeks ago. Barry says, I would say, hell no, dad. I had a dream and in my dream, my God spoke to me and said, you got to sacrifice your dad in order to be happy. Let's have a duel. Great. Now, Barry, let's try plan B. What would your mom say? Let's talk back to Abraham. And suddenly the binding of Isaac opens up. It's a story of a young person's asking about what, how am I per parental obligation? Where is my voice coming out? And it becomes a journey of discovery. The story becomes, the text becomes the pretext for an honest conversation about who we are. That's the beauty of story. That's the beauty of storytelling. And storytelling is this method that I came up with 20 years ago where we talk back to the Torah. And that's Midrash. It's, you know, writing in the margins, basically, and challenging the norms. and having fun because we love storytelling, right? We know it in, in, innately. We are homo storytellers. <laughs> a, a, I'm messing up the actual term of how do you say storyteller. It's like, no homo sapien, homo... I don't know what the word is for storytelling. There is a word for it. It's yeah. funny. I think you're also um, maybe unknowingly defending liberal arts education because, you know, so much, which is... Which is really under attack right now. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you're going to analyze text, you're going to you're going to read deeply, you're going to think deeply, you're going to write on 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 text, um, novels and poetry and all the rest of it, canon and modern. Um, you know, the idea that that's not just honing an analytical mind, but it's bibliotherapy. It's helping you work out who the hell you are. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And allow you to have a voice. Like I often tell these now young people, when you stand up in front of your community, to your be mitzvah, yeah, there's one bottom line is now you're a member of the Jewish tribe and you know your Jewish literacy chops. Great. The real bottom line is you're standing in front of your community and you're opening your mouth and you're telling a story. You're teaching us a lesson. You're asking us a question that you don't know the answer to. People are going to give you answers. You're learning how to stand up yeah, and, it's and so offer your voice. And that's Jewish, not Jewish, human. Can you stand up as a human being in today's world and not just be safely behind your screen, but eye to eye with people you know and love, elders and youngsters, peers and strangers, and say something. At a say time well. in your life when you're probably terrified, more terrified than any other time in your life maybe, right. of standing up in front right. of people and being seen and looked at your 13 mm -hmm. years old right. when you want to be invisible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, it's true, and it's a test. I mean, I tell... A lot of these teens, like, we get a couple of weeks before the ritual and they've rehearsed and they have their lines and if there's rituals or blessings or whatever, their speech. And I say, look, this is a test. It's like a driving test, right? Our modern ritual of initiation in America, in the West, is driving, right? That's when we put young people in front of the yeah. wheel and say, go for it. And after that, you might get killed or kill us. So this is a, it's a test and you could fail. So I tell them, look, Yobi Mitzvah is a test and you could fail. And they look at me horrified. And I said, well, here's how you could fail. You could suck, <laughs> right? You could stand on stage and you'd be so horrified because you haven't been rehearsed when we're going to rehearse with you or you're going to yeah. be so scared of, of shining, as so many of us are, that you will stammer or you will talk really quietly. Talk really quickly. We won't understand. Now, you're not going to get an F and no one's going to say, oh, honey, that was awful. <laughs> no one's going to do that, but you will know that. So there's ways of passing this test with flying colors and you'll know, we'll know because you'll be grinning, and you will shine. And there's ways of failing, because you haven't prepared enough. And it's a test of you being publicly in front of people. And you will know. And honestly, we will know, too. So don't suck. I, I need you to come, like, before I do public speaking, and get, like, a, like a month before and whip <laughs> me into funny. shape. But it's funny. Everything you've just said sounds like what some of our other guests have told us about putting yourself out there in moments of transition and stepping into a new role, you know, the the fear of risk. But you crystallize it for them. You say, you know, prepare, do your best, because otherwise you'll know that you sucked. And and it's funny because some of our other guests have said, do it anyway, make the leap. But 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 you're a little bit more you you apply a little more pressure. Well the fact is and it's going to be different with grown ups, which is really interesting to Yeah, test. tell us because, about grown ups. Well because the kids I do not do a b'mitzvah with a young person in our community. We do not begin the process before the kid looks me in the eye and says, I'll do it. 
And there have been cases where the parents really wanted it and the kid said no, and I said, no, we're not doing it. The kid needs to say yes because they need to understand that they're going to spend a year once a week and then spending a Sunday once a month doing the justice work. They're, they need to say yes to this. And then they say yes for any number of reasons. But the, 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 the pressure point of saying, hey, this is a test, and you don't want to suck, and here's how you won't, is because partially they are doing it because they have to. They said yes, but there's pressure. Let's not kid ourselves. That's different than someone in her 40s who wants to spend a year or two doing adult education and thinking about meditation and is there God in my life and will I embrace a story and who am I in this crazy smorgasbord reality. And and uh, I haven't done those that often yet to know, but I think it's going to be, I'm hoping it will be a little easier as far as take the leap and take the risk and you know the tools yeah. you need to step up. Um, than the complication of being mid-puberty. Yeah. That has to be easier <laughs> oh than gosh. that. Yes. You just, we've been talking to a rabbi for 45 minutes, and the word, the name God has just come up at the end. And I just wanted to touch on something that you've been quoted as saying with your with your groups, is that you want people to show up, everybody show up, it's all open, and God is optional. I just want to know how you... How is God optional? How do you how do you get to that point? Mm. In because I can understand different faiths all getting together as a as a man of God, but how is God not part of the equation? So the word God is so baggaged. G O D. Well, a, a lot of Jews don't say it, right? I mean, you don't you like my I have a, I have a rabbi friend who's Lubavitch, and he won't write the O. He's like right. G underline. Right. right. So that so that's a, that's sort of an English way of of translating the Hebrew way. We can't pronounce or say the, the name divine of, name because yes. it's so ineffable. Right. But I think we've got a branding issue. The G O D is for many people. Ugh. It's patriarchal. It's masculine. It's hierarchy. It's punishing. It's that dude with a white beard on the throne of judgment from all our Judeo Christian Muslim reality, um, there are better brands and definitions for the divine mystery. Um, one of my favorite is the Hebrew Havaya, which means becoming, existence. You know, comes out of the Torah, comes out from Kabbalah and mystical uh, poetic renderings that say, look, there's something going on. Is it our Mother Earth? Is it existence? Is it life? Is it our Father who art in heaven? Is it Kali? Is it Allah? What the? Right? We're living in an age of unprecedented fertilization of all these cultures. So when I say God optional, I tell people, look, I don't know what you believe in or don't. It's complicated. We inherited a lot. We're trying to make sense of it, of mystery. And when I say God optional, I say, come with whatever you got as you are. I do not expect you to believe in an entity that listens to you. I am wrestling with what it means to be present at any given moment. That's as close as I can get to divinity. So when we do liturgy at Lab Shul, we have no books. It's all screens, which means we can keep editing them. We completely retranslated them. So there's no addressing a deity, and there's no G-O-D. There is soul. There's mystery. There's presence. There is becoming. There are words that we can relate to if we're atheist, agnostic, Jewish, Jewish, none of the above, all of the above, 14 years old or 85 years old, tapping into presence. And I think we all can do that. Like a meditation is a human skill that we can cultivate. How to build a scaffolding into a more theological worldview that takes what we inherited, whoever we are, and rebuilds our spirit home? I think these milestones and these rituals of becoming can be helpful towards that because there is no school that teaches us how to live with that level of of um, of inquiry. Well, even without the school, you have been a great teacher for us. So yeah. thank you so much thank for being here Thank you for today. these fantastic questions. Thank you so much. Um, for all of our listeners, go find more at labshul.org. That's S-H-U-L.org. And also follow uh, Rabbi Amichai. Lalavi at on Facebook and Instagram just at Amachai Lalavi. Connect with us at U-Turns Podcast. Share your stories.
Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.